Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. This week, I've gotten several folks who've asked me the question, do you have a good message for Sunday? (laughs) No pressure at all, but do you have a good message? Yesterday, a friend of mine asked me that question, and I'd heard it all week, as I said. And uh, I said to my friend yesterday, I said, you know what? I got a good message. It's not about the message because, my friends, we've got a great message that we're speaking about today, that we are proclaiming today, the great message that Jesus saves, the great message that he is alive, the great message that he makes a difference in our lives. That is a great message. Now, as far as the way I deliver that message... That's another thing. But may we never doubt that we have a great message from God. And today we come to celebrate that message and to recognize who Jesus Christ is. And today to recognize that he is alive, that he is risen, that the Lord himself is risen indeed. I want to take you back, if I can, to that Easter Sunday after uh, the reports had come in that Jesus was alive, that he had been risen from the dead, that he had been resurrected, after those initial reports had come to the disciples, there were these two followers of Jesus who were walking along the Emmaus Road who, was, who were talking about what God had done through this resurrection. Now, I want to just for a moment capture that scene for you if you'll look in verse 13. And hopefully today, as we see these two followers, as they grapple with the truth of the resurrection, I pray that it would speak to us as we we dwell in the reality of the resurrection. Notice in verse 13 it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they answered and said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. That Sunday afternoon... That Sunday afternoon, after the reports of the resurrection had come in, these two followers of Christ, these two disciples, were walking toward Emmaus, some seven miles away from Jerusalem. And as they're walking, they're talking about all the things that had happened. You could only imagine this, right? 
I mean, it being the Sunday afternoon of Easter. Now, for us, Sunday afternoons on Easter, they comprise what? Great fellowships and food and family and nap time, right? Does it describe your Sunday afternoon? I'm making one visit this evening, but I got the whole evening, by the way. We don't have Sunday night church or not, so if you're having fellowships, I'll come to your house, okay? I know some of you are doing that. But here, Sunday afternoon, what they're doing is they're trying to process all of this. You, you will find that these disciples were confused and conflicted. They were confused and they were conflicted. They walked toward Emmaus. Talking about these things. And obviously a sadness was there. And it says that Jesus comes near to them, okay? And in some way, their eyes are restrained. Literally, their eyes are held so that they cannot see, they cannot recognize who Jesus is. And Jesus poses this question to them. What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Now, you didn't realize Jerusalem and Ruston had so much in common, did you? Now, for a long time, I've heard North Louisiana was the Holy Land. I'd heard that. And now, after dwelling here for a little while, I kind of understand why they would say that. But you didn't realize that there was such a, a, an affiliation between the city of Jerusalem and Ruston. Notice what, notice what they say to Jesus. Jesus said, what are you crying about? What's wrong with you? And the disciples say, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Because you know what? The events of the past day, Jerusalem, everybody knows what happens in Jerusalem, Right? You can't keep a secret in Jerusalem just like Rustin. Something happens in Rustin, you're going to know about it, right? <laughs> Children, those of you who have done, you know, you know what's happened. You haven't heard what has happened in Jerusalem. I mean, these days have been filled with questions. These days have been filled with possibilities. These days have been filled with the story of Jesus. And they begin to relate to him the story. And in their words, you hear their confusion and you hear their conflict. Because as I said, these disciples were both confused and conflicted. He says, says in verse 19, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Get this. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Listen to their confusion. They said very boldly here that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They had believed that he was the Christ. He was the one to redeem Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Jewish life, they had understood that there would be this one individual who would come, this king, this Messiah, this Christ, who would restore Israel, bring Israel independence, restore it to its former glory. They believed 
And they said, we were hoping. That word or that verb is actually in the tense which suggests that it was an ongoing hope in the past. In other words, in the past, in the past few days, it was a continual hope that they had that Jesus would be the Messiah. They, they just went on and went on hoping that he would be the one. But again, that was past because there was some confusion. Confusion over what? They were confused over the cross. I mean, you have a king that's going to redeem a nation. You would not think that the king would be crucified that he would die i mean if you're placing your faith in a king death can somehow shake your faith bring confusion into your life i mean you scramble asking the question what happened i mean literally that's what they were doing what happened we were with jesus we believed he was the messiah now he has died He has died on the cross. He has died a criminal's death. There was confusion over the cross. It did not make sense. Actually, later on, Paul would say that to the Jews, Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews. To the the Greeks, to the Gentiles, it was nothing more than foolishness. I mean, it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, again, a king that you're going to follow and he dies. It seems like it was the end. It seemed like everything was over. And they're talking about this and you can experience their confusion. And yet, you can also experience their conflict. Because you see in verse 21... It says, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. In the construction of that verse, you'll see that conflict. You'll see that on the one hand, they were hoping. They believed that he would be the king. But that seemed to be in the past. Although, they say, this is the third day. And we've received reports. And they're conflicted. There's a conflict over the reality of the resurrection. They're confused over the cross and how that figured into the redemption story. But now they are conflicted over whether to believe the story of the resurrection. They want to. With all of their might, they want to. But it defies all type of reason and logic. Have you ever wanted just to believe something before? I'm talking about you just wanted to believe it. It sounded too good to be true, but you wanted to believe it, right? I believe this last year Ole Miss could go to the Final Four. I see some TCU fans here. I believed Ole Miss could beat a Christian university from Texas in a bowl. I believed it with everything. I wanted to believe it. Didn't happen, right? There are a lot of things that we want to believe, but we're almost pessimist. We're skeptical. We try to explain everything out and reason all kinds of things. And listen to them. 
They want to believe. I, I truly believe these followers wanted to believe that Jesus had been resurrected. But it seems too good to be true. Someone overcoming death. And notice here, they believed that it was a physical death and they believed that these reports are about a physical bodily resurrection. If it were just a spiritual resurrection, that's what some people say today. Well, you know, Jesus was just resurrected spiritually. Well, if he were just resurrected spiritually, it would not require such belief. But for them, they are understanding the resurrection in a physical way, a bodily resurrection. And for them, that defied all reason. And there was conflict inside because they could not explain it. They wanted to believe. And most of the time in our lives, we've been taught, if it sounds too good to be true then it's too good to be true. It's not really true. But my friends, my friends, listen this morning. The story of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus coming to life, Jesus overcoming death, hell, and the grave, while it seems too good to be true, let me tell you this morning, it is very much true. There were con. They were in conflict as they thought about the resurrection. And you know, I believe that this day there are some of us in this place. There are some of us in this place that may be confused and also conflicted. There are some of us in this place that would say, yes, I've heard the story, and I, I, but I just can't understand why a king would have to die on the cross. Some of you in this place today, you come maybe because this is a family moment for you and you're here in church and you're going to make sure that grandmother or grandfather is happy with you. And yet you're still conflicted about the message of the resurrection. Because for you, it does not make sense. You want to believe. There's a part of you that says, I want to believe in this Jesus that you preach, Brother Reggie. But reason would say a man could not live again. Science would say a man could not live again. And today you are here in that conflict. I say today that today in this place you can experience the conviction and the confirmation that you need. Because I want you to see that while these disciples while they were conflicted, while they were confused, they also came to a place of conviction and confirmation. Basically, they were convicted and they were convinced. Read the rest of the story. It says as they recount uh, these initial reports of the resurrection, verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, Jesus looking at them said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter 
his glory. Enter into his glory. In other words, Jesus said, okay, followers, disciples, do you not know this is exactly the way things were supposed to unfold? The king, the Messiah, was to suffer. And then it says in verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, he began to talk about the scriptures and he preached to them. A wonderful Easter afternoon sermon. I would love to have some of you captive for about seven miles on a walk. If I could have the physical stamina to just walk with you. Love to be able to just preach to you every now and then. I mean, a captive audience, Jesus takes them and he is working them through the scriptures. He is going to convince them by the scriptures. It says that he's going to go back to Moses and the prophets. Basically what he's talking about, the Old Testament. And maybe he went back literally to those first five books, like the books that are associated with Moses. I don't know which ones he used, but maybe he went back to Genesis chapter 12 and he said to them, Look, you see the call of Abraham here? It says that a blessing will come to all of the world from Abraham. Cleopas, that was me, the blessing. Perhaps he went to Exodus chapter 12 because it says that he talked to him about how this Christ was to suffer. And maybe he went to Exodus chapter 12, which really spoke of the Passover, the Passover that they had just celebrated. And maybe Jesus said, I want you to know that God has called me to be the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb that will take away, that has taken away the sins of the world. Maybe you went to Exodus chapter 16 where it spoke about the bread that would come from heaven, the manna that they would be fed with in the wilderness. And maybe you said, uh, I want you to know that I am the bread of heaven. Maybe you went to Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 which spoke of a new prophet that would come, a new prophet like Moses. And Jesus would say, I am that new prophet. I am the new Moses. Maybe he went over into the prophets, as it says, and he picked up these different passages, maybe like Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and he says, I am the ruler that came from Bethlehem. Or maybe it was Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where he spoke about a king that would ride a colt into Jerusalem. Or maybe it was Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, which spoke of the son of righteousness that would rise. What he did is he took all of these scriptures and he brought them together to demonstrate that he was the Christ. I believe at least one passage that he must have used was from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Which spoke of this coming Messiah. This Christ. And described it so well. His mission. Isaiah writes and he says. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the Isaiah passage of the suffering servant, certainly those disciples could have heard how the Messiah would suffer and die. They were convinced. Their confusion turned to conviction. And they were convinced. I say to you this day that God can still use his word in such ways to convict us. To convict us. Well, later on, later on these disciples would think back on those moments they had with Jesus and uh, they would say, did, our not, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? That's what they would say. They would say, yeah, you know when he was reading that scripture, when he was talking about all those different passages that somehow confirmed his Messiahship and how he was, he was going to suffer, when he was reading those things, our hearts burned inside of us. There are some people today that believe that in their religion that their salvation comes through a, quote, burning in the bosom. That's what they believe. Now, we often look at those moments and we approach them maybe with some levity. I've heard some people say, yeah, they've got a burning in the bosom. They probably ate too much last night or so, right? Some of us have done that before. My wife's hot dogs. Have you ever tried those before? I did last night, no sleep whatsoever, you know? Or more seriously, in other religions, they could experience something. Unfortunately, from evil sources. But I say to you that what they experienced that, that day, what these disciples experienced, was not just some emotional movement. Now, God touches us emotionally. He touches all of our our being. But I say to you, it was more than just an emotional touch in our lives. They were convicted by the scriptures themselves. As they heard the scriptures, there was something inside that convicted them to the reality of Jesus being the Christ. In this day, my friends, the only way for us to be saved for us to come to eternal life is for God to produce that conviction within us as we hear his word and as we respond to his word. Conviction. I do remember, I do remember when the conviction settled into my life and I was saved. Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church. Some of you have been there before? Come on now. North Mississippi? Center of the universe. Not the Holy Land, but center of the universe. None of you. Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church. Sunday night. When I saw a baptism. Just like the one we had this morning. I'd been in church all my life. I was about 12 and I thought I was a good little boy. And I did good things. And that was good enough. 
God was pleased with me because I was good. When I saw someone baptized, placed under the water and brought back up, all of a sudden, I realized that Jesus died for me because I couldn't be good enough. That he suffered for me. I'd heard the message all my life. I'd heard preachers stand and preach it. I'd heard Sunday school teachers teach it. But there was something about that moment, that time where I saw the person go under the water. And when they came back up, I realized that he was alive. That he was resurrected to give me life and power. They was wanting to forgive me of my sins. Now, I will tell you that I struggled with it that night. I've shared before that we had one of those deacons that you just can't stand in the church's life that prayed for us that night. You've heard that deacon pray something like this. Dear Father, I pray that if there's one person in this place that's been convicted tonight, that you will not give that person a moment's rest and sleep. How mean is that? <laughs> but I'm pretty proud that Deacon was mean that night because I did not sleep. I did not sleep Monday night, and I did not sleep Tuesday night. Wednesday night, I looked at my mama and I said, I've got to talk to Brother Holland. She said, we're going to get you in. We're going to talk. I believe it was later on that I was in Brother Holland's office. And he was sitting behind that desk. And he was asking me, do you truly believe that Jesus is the Lord? I said, yes. Do you really mean it? I said, yes, I mean it. He, that preacher asked me about five times if I meant it. I wanted to shout it from the top of the church, I meant it. Because of the conviction that I had experienced that week. And I say to you that when God takes your confusion and he brings it to a state of conviction, you better get ready because he's about to produce a new life. And you work in your heart. Because get this, through the conviction and through the work of God, they become convinced. Notice it says in verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. In other words... He said, I'm going on, but they said, please, Jesus, or please, this traveler, would you come and, and stay with us? And it says that he goes in and he stays in verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. Notice here a physical bodily experience of Jesus, okay? It's not just some spirit of Jesus that's here. He is literally taking the bread and he is breaking it. He is alive physically. And it says that as he took the bread, he blessed it, as he broke it and gave it to them, verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did our heart 
did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They were convinced. They were convicted by the scripture and they were convinced by the living Lord. They were convinced. I mean, they had been in conflict. They wanted to believe. But now their faith was confirmed. And they were absolutely convinced because Jesus had appeared to them. Some ten times in the New Testament, Jesus appears after the resurrection. Some ten times. At one point in Galilee, he appears to over 500 followers at once. Because he was alive. He was the living God. He was resurrected. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he has brought life and he has brought victory. It, it validates his message. The message that he had spoken while he was on earth during his ministry, it validated everything he said. Validated everything. He said, it vanquished his enemies. It vindicated his lordship. He's Lord. I mean, if he can overcome death itself, that means he is Lord. He's the king. He's vanquished all his enemies. It punctuates the day. Easter Sunday. You know, it's still, as we come before him and as we recognize him as the living Lord, it still has great consequences for us today, doesn't it? I mean, today, we still recognize his message. We still recognize his mission. We recognize that the power of the resurrection is not only available to us, But through the work of the Spirit in our lives, we can live in the power of the resurrection every day. I was writing this week an article to our staff, and I said to to them, you know, if Jesus had overcome death, and as he has overcome death, that means he can overcome anything else. If If he's overcome death, hell, and the grave, think of the practical realities for us every day. The power of the resurrection is great enough to overcome relational issues that we have. The power of the resurrection is able to overcome the disease and the sickness that we face. The power of the resurrection is able to overcome even the losses that we've experienced in this life. Because Jesus is alive. And my friends, I say to you this day that as we leave this place, as we make a difference for the kingdom, we should shout it, we should speak it, we should proclaim it, that Jesus is alive and it makes a difference in a person's life every day. From their salvation to their service, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ makes 
a difference. A moment ago I said that some of you in this place may be confused, may be conflicted. But I want you to know that today, through the power of God and through His Scripture, that you can leave here not only being convicted, but more importantly, being convinced that Jesus is Lord. And today, if you would come to Him in faith and accept Him and His Lordship, He would make a difference in your life. Forgiveness, life, power. This is the Jesus I serve. This is the Jesus we serve. Would you come to Him and would you give your life to Him And recognize him as the king, as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Lord. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we pause this morning. And Lord, how we pray. Lord, how we pray for your scripture and your spirit to bring conviction here this morning. God, we recognize that individuals have come into this place and different places in their spiritual journey right now. They, some, are, some are convinced already. Some are assured, and they're here celebrating. Some this morning, they're just, they want to believe, and Lord, they're, they're working through that now. God, I pray that you would speak to every heart. Lord, that you would speak especially to that one that's in conflict. And Father, that you would give them the liberty and the freedom to come and accept you as Lord and Savior. Father, we pray that those of us who are here who are believers, Father, that we would allow the power of your resurrection to make a difference daily in our lives. And Father, that you would just work through us to proclaim your message of salvation. God, how thankful we are as your people that we can come to a day like this of celebration. And God, we pray now that you would take this invitation and that you would use it for your honor and for your glory. Save the one which is lost Lord, help us, those of us who have fallen back, to come and recommit our lives. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? So we have this hymn of invitation. Would you come as God calls you?